right, so episode 41 with Aaron Brown's about to start. We're going to touch on a lot of awesome stuff. And the most important one, for me at least, is Aaron's view on parenting her daughter to grow up loving herself and not having issues with her body. So stick around, listen through the whole episode. You guys are going to get a lot of information. And also go check out cuttheshitgetfit.com and email me if you guys have any questions and let's get this thing started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Machiszewski, and joining me today is the wonderful and beautiful Erin Brown. Say hello. Hi. So I like to always start the show with breaking the ice, so can you tell the audience what do you have planned for the weekend? Oh, I'm going to um, work. I have a part-time job at a store here, and I'm going to watch my daughter play soccer, and then I always go to the grocery store and meal prep, which sounds really boring, I guess maybe not to fitness people, but it's, that's my Sunday stuff and it's my favorite. Oh, nice. Yeah. I Do start, you like going to the grocery store? Uh, I used to not anymore. Cause <laughs> it, I, I hate the grocery store. Cause like you have this like plan of like where you want to go and then you're always ending up behind the person that's really slow and just out there like looking at everything. You're like, come on, move out of the way. And then you get to like the checkout aisle and you always choose the one that takes the longest and then I just get angry. (laughs) I love it. I just, I don't know. It's like my favorite shopping experience. I don't know why. Well, the new thing at my grocery store is they added um, like the online shopping thing and Mm. they they don't um, like deliver it, but you could just go and you pull up right to the front and they just load your trunk with all your groceries and then you're just out of there. I'm like, this is so smart. Especially like with, um, I can only imagine with parents with like kids, I would imagine going yes. to the grocery store with three kids is a pretty daunting task. <laughs> right. Especially if like one of them's sick or yeah. grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> Tantrums, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, so can you tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Um, well, my name is Erin Brown. I um, mostly now write books and go and talk about the books I write. Um, I got into this industry completely on accident, um, looking for a way to be present in my body in a different, in a new way. And um, I started exercising just to find a way to, to, like I said, be present in my body, to feel powerful, to be a good example for my daughter and ended up losing a lot of weight and had a lot of people asking me about what was working. And I was really excited about sharing not really what I had learned from a how to change your body perspective, but what I had learned about how exercise impacted my mental health, about how I felt in my body, how I felt capable in my body and completely just transformed my relationship with myself. And so I kind of on accident became a personal trainer, which moved into the work that I'm doing now. So it's all been really organic and just sort of what naturally happened as I was paying attention to my life and what I needed. Awesome. What what was like the thing that got you into working out? Like, was there a video online that you saw or did someone kind of show you the gym? Like any kind of example like that? No, it was pretty much all negative. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, I had worked out before, certainly, you know, I'd had gym classes and I had, um, done like workout plans with friends, but it had always come from this sort of like punitive trying to fix myself perspective. And 
after I had my baby, I spent about a year, well, while I was pregnant and then with a baby, paying attention to how I talk to myself. And I stopped talking poorly about my body and I stopped talking poorly about other women's bodies and really um, started taking real action towards my self-concept. But that was all like a mental game for me. And then once I got sturdy in that and wasn't just like belittling myself at all times, then I started thinking about how I could level up you know, how I could take this to a new place. And when I thought back over the entire history of my life, and I'm someone that people share their stories with, the only person that I could think of who had ever said anything positive about her body, um, and not disparaging was an athlete, was a friend of mine that wasn't able to, um, continue starving herself, which is what myself and all of my friends did in junior high so that we could be beautiful. She wasn't able to keep doing that because she wanted to perform. She played soccer and she was playing for the high school team in junior high, which was a very big deal. Um, and so she had to take care of herself because she wanted her body to perform. That was the only example I could think of of any woman in my entire life who had said something that wasn't just disparaging about herself. And so I thought, okay, well then that's the next level. I'll become an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) No idea at all what that meant. And for me, that really did start with taking walks because that's where my fitness level was at at the time. Um, but I just kept pursuing it. My first interaction with a personal trainer was after I had lost 80 pounds on my own. I went to a commercial gym and it was one of those where you get to have two or three personal training sessions for free, you know, Mm -hmm. and I got one and it was cut short because I needed to attend to something with my baby in the childcare. But in the short time that I was with him, he said that it was too bad that my sister was the hot one. My sister (laughs) at the time struggling with an eating disorder. And thank goodness we don't have any competition issues because for a lot of people that would be a much bigger offense. He said that clearly my goal was fat loss and put my dimensions or my measurements into some computer program where he was able to change my body fat percentage from what it was to like 12% and told me that's what we are working on and that the primary concern was my gut. Oh my gosh. So, and I went to him specifically, I was feeling really good about myself. I went to him because I wanted him to teach me how to use the weights. I didn't know how to use the weights and I was really curious and interested in that. So, yeah, I found my own way there, sort of backwards, <laughs> and um, had to do a lot of teaching myself because most of what I was running into in the fitness industry, and there's been quite a bit of evolution um, in the seven years since since that interaction happened, even at that specific gym. But it, all of those interactions were negative, and they were all about like buying into this idea that something's wrong with me. And this is the thing that can fix me. And none of that dialogue was ever helpful to me. And none of it ever really engaged me, like really thinking about it as something that's for me, something for my own strength, something for my own power. And that all had to come from me because there wasn't anything at the time in fitness that was speaking to that. Man, there's different directions I want to go with this. (laughs) First of all, that traitor is like a dumbass. But um. Man, I can't imagine if I actually said that. Because, like, primarily my clientele is, like, 90% moms. And I would never dare to even say anything remotely close to that. Because I would probably lose all my clients. But 
Right. Um, why do you think women kind of fall into that kind of negative self-talk all the time and it almost gets to a point where they can't even like snap out of it even if they have such a good support network around them without even realizing well, I mean, I think it's conditioning. I think that we're trained to do that. I definitely learned it from my mother, and she's a wonderful mother who um, I would never say anything negative to me about me. And I had friends whose mothers would scold them if they got seconds and, you know, were, were very punitive in terms of how they dealt with their weight and very concerned that their daughters be thin. I did not have that mother, but I watched the way that she talked about herself. I watched the way she talked to herself. She was always on a diet. She was always comparing herself disparaging to other mothers. And that, that was my role model for what it was to be a woman. And so I did the exact same thing. It's something that I talk about a lot. And my mom, you know, graciously approves of me doing this because <laughs> I love my mom. She's wonderful. My husband describes her as being the personification of a quilt. Um, but I think it's really important because whenever I talk about body image, if I don't talk about that specifically, the feedback I get from women is some narrative about how society has to change. And, you know, they have daughters that are coming to them and saying, you know, something's wrong with their thighs. They're saying the exact things that their mothers are saying to themselves and they're mad at society. And certainly there are a lot of places to blame and a lot of things to point to. We didn't create this narrative, you know, so it's not really about blame, but we have so much power and control over what we do to ourselves, with ourselves, what we role model. And I really think that if we harness that, we would see big changes. We already are. Fashion magazines, what's on the cover of fashion magazines? Just like yesterday when I was at Walgreens, noticed how many um, magazines that are marketed to young women are talking about activism and unique beauty and body image and not, you know, when I was that age, it was like, 15 things to do to a penis. I mean, it was just like the most <laughs> awesome, ridiculous stuff. Um, so, you know, when we change, then the advertising will change. But I think that it's, I think it's conditioning from a very young age that the most important thing about us is our bodies. And depending on your culture, those, those are different with me. That was about leanness. It was about thinness. Um, and then we just, we play it out. It's something that's handed to us that I think unless we actually do the work of considering our own value system and where that came from, we just march right to the beat we were handed. No, I think you're right. Cause like, that's probably one of my biggest fears of becoming a parent is like screwing up your kid without even knowing it. <laughs> and it could be like how you said, like your mom would just, you know, say things like, Oh, I don't like how my body looks. And as a kid, you pick those things up so quickly and I kind of want to get your opinion on like, how are you going to raise your daughter to not kind of put her in the wrong position about how she feels about her body when she grows up? Well, I've been doing that for a long time. So one of the things that I recommend to moms a lot is I hear stories of girls coming home and saying that they're worried that they're fat and their mother's first response almost always is no. Oh no, you're not. <laughs> and that's a really, really strong message that I don't think they're even noticing that they're sending that the worst thing that you could be is fat. Um, so that's not, it's not a dirty word in our household. It's not appropriate to talk about other people's bodies at all. 
you know, and that's something that I'm sensitive to in general because my sister, um, as I mentioned, had an eating disorder for a long time and had people, women mostly, say really nasty things about the, the size of her body because it was small and she had, you know, a terrible disease um, that was threatening her life and people were making snide comments about her body. So there's just not, there's not an appropriate time to make comments and observations about other people's bodies, unless you're their doctor. (laughs) It's not, that's not a thing that we do, but fat is not some scary, dirty word. It's not the worst thing that you could be. Um, one time my daughter asked me about the difference between her thighs and mine and what she was noting was fat. And I told her it was fat and that's it. It didn't need some like long explanation. There wasn't like, but I'm okay with it. It was like, this is a natural, normal part of bodies. So that's one thing is just like normalizing bodies being bodies. (laughs) Um, and the other thing for me is about always role modeling what I want to see for her. So if I'm beating myself up, I know that I can a hundred percent expect that she will do the same thing. And so, you know, she sees how I talk to myself. She sees how I treat myself. And when she's struggling with something, I talk to her about how I deal with it. Um, you know, a similar thing in a bite-sized kid way of handling it. Um, and then I, I mean, it's just, it's an ongoing process of making sure that I'm being honest with her and, and with her self-concept. So she started asking me questions early on because there's not a narrative in my household that says, you know, being lean is really important. What our bodies look like is really important. So when she was able to read, she had a lot of natural questions about like the supermarket that like us weekly, the cellulite issue, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They're like top 10 worst beach bodies because she didn't have any frame of reference for that. That was like ridiculous to her and foreign to her. And so she's like, what, what is this? And so I'm honest with her about what she's seeing. You know, some people have this idea that women's job is to be decoration before anything else about them matters. What do you think about that? And when you're honest about it, I mean, she thinks that's absolutely ridiculous. And she notices when she sees it. She notices it when she sees it on television and commercials and magazines. You know, I've not even had to really teach her media literacy because she doesn't have that idea from me to begin with. Whereas for me, when I grew up with the narrative that the most important thing a woman can do is be beautiful, when I saw those magazines, I didn't question it. So it's all about the example that I'm setting and also just being really honest with her about what she sees. Yeah. Like I was talking to a couple other people who have kids and I've always been asking them like what they want to do for parenting for their kids to make sure they are not screwed up. (laughs) Like they were. And a lot of times it's like, yeah, just being a good role model for them. And I can see it when, when I train my clients and the moms will bring their kids to the gym and their kids are like, their eyes are so wide open. They're like, oh, this is so cool. And I can always hear them like saying like, oh, when can I go to the gym like my mom and dad? And just because they see their parents being active, they have probably have a higher chance of being active too when they grow up. Oh, yeah. You know, my daughter was like two or three years old when she started telling me I needed to go for a run because (laughs) (laughs) if I was grumpy, she would note that that is what I did to handle it Um, or that if I was grumpy, perhaps I hadn't done that that day yet. Um, So she associates it with stress relief. She associates it with not being grumpy, (laughs) Um, with strength. But I've never in my life uttered anything to her to the effect of like, oh, I I ate tacos. 
So now I got to go do this thing. Like nothing about the way that I care for myself is ever punitive. And, and she gets that, you know, it, it very much is about our example. And of course the narrative of the culture around us is going to impact our children, but we have the opportunity to not participate in that. And we have the opportunity to, show them a different way of responding, a different way of being than, than what the greater culture tells us. How important do you think it is for kids to sign up for like all different types of sports to kind of be exposed to different ways of exercising? You know, I don't know. Um, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because my kid is, uh, not a natural athlete. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, it's, she's pretty good at soccer actually. And she's been in soccer since she was little. Um, we always present all kinds of options to her and sports is not something that she naturally gravitates towards. Um, and so I'm hoping that she will continue to be interested in theater is, is more interesting to her. Um, because that's another kind of team. And I do think that there's something really enriching for someone's life about teamwork you know, but putting on a play is as much teamwork as playing a sport. So, you know, it's one of those questions that's like, should you be learning as much as you can about as many things as possible? Or should you be becoming a master of the thing that you love? And, and with kids, I'm not really sure. So I just keep giving her lots of options and she tends to keep picking the same things. Um, she's trying softball this summer, so I'm excited about that. And I'm also curious if that's going to be awful. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, but I do rather than lots of sports, I do expose her to lots of different kinds of movement, you know? So like we go on walks, we go on bike rides, we hike in the woods, we play tennis. There's a tennis court next to us just for fun. Neither of us are any good. Um, so it is important to me that she knows about lots of different kinds of movement, even though with my kids specifically, it might not necessarily mean lots of different kinds of sport just because of her interests. Okay. Uh, so as a mom, like, cause I've seen it a couple times depending on the person, but sometimes when a mother has, you know, kids, they want to put all their focus and attention on them and they tend to kind of forget themselves and put them as a priority. And I've seen like some moms where even though they had kids, they didn't, you know, eliminate going to the gym or doing things for themselves. And then other moms are like, oh, I'm just so stressed out. I can't do anything. I'm probably gonna have to cut the gym in half or just stop going for a while. So how do you kind of find balance with parenting and then also time for yourself? Well, I mean, I've set up my life (laughs) pretty, pretty awesome now. So I'm, I'm (laughs) home alone with myself Um, whenever my daughter's in school. So I have lots of time to myself, but I haven't always, I've also in the time that I've had a child worked four jobs. Um, and those are the times that going to the gym were even more important to me because it sustained me. When I think about that, I flipped the narrative a little bit. Well, first of all, that's a narrative we specifically give women. You know, I have never in my life heard a man say anything at all about how he had to participate in some sort of self-care so he could be a better husband and father. Um, dudes just get to do stuff because they want to, you know, my husband likes to play basketball. So he does, and he likes to lift weights. So he does. And sometimes he wants to have time alone. So he takes it like, there's no guilt around that. There's no, that makes him a bad father 
narrative going on there. You know, he's just like believes on some basic level that he should get to do things with his life that he enjoys and that sustain him because he deserves to enjoy his life and do things that sustain him. So I would love to see women get there. And for me, part of taking care of myself is role modeling that for my daughter because I think the other way, at least the way that I framed it for myself, is about teaching her how to martyr and teaching my daughter that her life matters until she has another life to care for, and then it stops mattering. And she should care for everyone under the sun um, to the detriment of her person at all times. That's not something I actually want to teach her at all. And I want my daughter to be to be immaculately cared for, for her entire life. And if the world is, is, if all is right with the world, I'll go before she does. And if I don't teach her how to care for herself by the way I care for myself, all I'll teach her is, is that I love her and that that means that I can't matter anymore. And she'll do the same thing. So for me, teaching my kid to take care of herself is about taking care of myself. And I take time away from her to take care of myself. And I want her to see that. You know, I want her to see that my life doesn't stop and I don't stop mattering because I have her. And she will never have any question as to where my priorities are, how much I love her. That's, that's not a problem, but she also can see that I'm a priority in my life and that I love myself also. You're so right with the, um, comment about the guys. Like they just have this, like their life doesn't even change even if they have kids and they can just go on what they wanted to do anytime they want to do it. And it's tough. Like I hope this next generation of, you know, people like me will kind of change that kind of outlook because I know I'm looking ahead. Like if I had kids, I wouldn't want my wife to be always the one doing everything because then I can only imagine like that's a lot to take on as a person, right? You're always taking care of everybody else but you. And you kind of right. have to almost like share the responsibility. Like we, we got a dog recently and any chance I get to do something extra, I will. But it's interesting when you have kids that can change really, really easily. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if I know any heterosexual couple um, with kids where the wife then being my friend, so so a particular brand of woman, <laughs> um, wasn't shocked to find how much the responsibilities were not split at the end of the day. And, you know, to be fair, in any kind of relationship, 50-50 is not really a thing. It's really more like 80-20, and that balance depends on who's well. You know, like that's, yeah. that's more honest. But when it comes to those kinds of things, like raising kids, it really does. And not always, of course, this is a generalization, but it's surprising to me and it's surprising to a lot of my female friends how much just naturally falls to them in the same way that like you're expected to know how to like get the oil changed and take the trash out. And those responsibilities tend to naturally fall to men, except that raising a child is is huge. (laughs) It's it's really huge. Um, and so just as I think in, in stereotypical ways, there are definitely opportunities for me to think more about like how often the oil needs to be changed and not just assume that some man is going to come along and 
fix that for me. Um, that men could be just as helpful to women and, and, and not having that be the narrative of family, that that's a hundred percent a woman's responsibility. And then, you know, I've heard men talk about babysitting their children. I've never heard a woman say that. Not <laughs> ever. You're, you're, you're just having a day, man. That's what you're doing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to go around in, in terms of that. Um, and also in terms of self-care, this, this idea that men just get to do what they want and, and women have to earn their self-care by how they care for others is, is something that we all need to be mindful of how we talk about. I think the best is when I'm talking to my female clients and they tell me that their husband has a man cold and, uh, they're, they're responsible to do everything because he's so tired and can't function without any sleep while the mom probably has the same cold and still doing everything around the house. And I just laugh. I'm like, come on, guys are supposed to be like, you know, strong and can get through anything, but like a little cold end of the world. <laughs> well, and all of those things are damaging. You know, there's in terms of, so I'm a feminist. I'm interested in dissecting all of the stuff, and feminism is good for men too. And this is one of those examples. So there's this this narrative that men are, you know, the big, strong protectors. They take care of everything, and then alongside that is this narrative that they're also kind of dumb. <laughs> Just like the the television dad, you know, that like can't can't figure out anything, doesn't know where the milk is, do to do, and it's like that's ridiculous. I actually expect significantly more from men. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's ridiculous. And the big strong thing is not positive either because it doesn't give you the opportunity to have weakness or a wide variety of emotions that you absolutely have. It strips some humanness from you. Um, so yeah, all, all, all that narrative is, is gotta go for all of us. So what, what can guys do to kind of support their, you know, spouse and kind of empower them to kind of have more, I wouldn't say dominance, but just like an equal partnership, if that's the right way to say it, then kind of just letting the pieces fall on the ground as they may. Well, I mean, I think I would just, in the context of a relationship, I would just encourage honesty. You know, if you feel like you're calling all of the shots and you're not comfortable with that, then I would say that, you know, I want to know what you think. I want to hear your voice and things. It, it feels like it's defaulting to me. And to that end, there are certainly relationships that both parties are comfortable with where one person is the decision maker. Um, for my own personality, that doesn't sound good at all, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, but if you are not somebody that wants to be in that kind of relationship and you're with somebody who tends to submit to you, then I would communicate about that. You know, it's as simple as just having, honest conversations about your, your needs. If I were, well, just, I'm, I'm the person I am. I'm married. I was going to say if I were a guy, but either way, if I were in the marriage I'm in now and my husband expected me to make all of the decisions, that would be really stressful to me. If I was the only person making decisions about how we're raising my daughter and I'm absolutely not, that would be really stressful to me. So that it's to me, um, there are disadvantages to being on either side of that. So just talk about it, you know? And we certainly do. There are things that fall to him that he's wanted me to take more responsibility for and vice versa. And so we just talk about it. That's good. Um, I kind of want to shift gears back to body image. Yeah. Now, um, you working with Girls Gone Strong, I'm assuming you coach a lot of women, right? 
Um, well, I used to. Used With to. Girls Gone Strong, I mostly um, do speaking engagements for them mm-hmm. and and write. But I used to be a personal trainer. Okay. Because um, my question was, like, how do you help a woman, like, if you've got a brand new client and they needed help on overcoming body image issues? Like, is that something you can actually get over? Or is it just, like, kind of a, a constant practice every single day to kind of get through it? Well, I wrote a book about it because it's a complicated question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just like a loaded question right there. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of layers to it. Um, I don't want to speak to what's, is, is it possible to get over it? I did. Um, I still have insecurities sometimes as related to my body, but it is not at all in the way that it used to be. It used to be that that was where my worth was or wasn't you know, and, and occupied so much of my day and my time in ways I didn't even realize until I started paying attention, you know, like getting dressed was this awful chore and, and, you know, witchcraft where I'm trying to like (laughs) find the best optical illusion to look as small as possible every day and finding no joy in that. And meals were stressful, especially if I was sharing them with someone else. And then if I was like every part of my day was, was dominated by this insecurity that something is wrong with my body. And now it's like, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. My skin's changing in ways that I don't, you know, always adore immediately. (laughs) These things, (laughs) these things happen. And, um, I have various feelings about them on various days and they take up the headspace that, um, actually aligns with my priorities, which is about as long as it takes to look at something and move on. I don't think that, you know, a blemish or a change in my body size should determine how I show up that day, if I'm powerful, if I'm valuable, or even if I'm beautiful. And that was through really taking a step back and looking at all of the ways that my insecurity about my body was showing up and the way that I was judging other women and the way that I was experiencing camaraderie with women and all sitting around talking about how we didn't like our bodies and the way that I was talking to myself. And so it's all of these different layers, um, that we've been, been taught to act out that we haven't even taken the time to really look at. We just keep doing it. It's an autopilot thing. I don't even think it's natural because men don't do it. You know, you guys don't do that. You don't sit down for a meal and immediately discuss the calorie count. And if you do, it's because you're like athletes and you're all interested in the same number, you know, but it certainly isn't like coming from a shame space. (laughs) So it is incredibly possible, but it has to be, it has to be on purpose because we have so much practice collectively doing it another way. And when I was working with, um, clients as a personal trainer, first, I just would not in any way engage in negative body talk. And I don't, I don't do that with anyone ever. So that's a, that's a hard boundary for me. And instead of engaging in the conversation about their body, either by joining in, like I would have before and being like, Oh yeah, I know me too. This is awful. Or saying, no, you're beautiful. (laughs) I just don't do either of those things and call out the behavior. Say, it sounds like you're being really hard on yourself, you know, and that's something that, we're just not going to do here. You know, if you're the personal trainer, that's what I would say. We're not, we're, you're not going to do that with me. You can do that the rest of your day if you want to. When you're with me, I don't, I don't tolerate people talking about my clients that way. You know, that's yeah. it. Um, my husband used to say that to me all the time. I don't, I don't like the way you're talking about my wife. Don't talk about my wife like that. So it was a really powerful way to call out the behavior and not discuss the appearance. 
And then when I was doing like actual workouts with people would just give them language and thoughts about what they were doing that maybe they wouldn't have even discovered before. So I would talk about like how strong a lift looked and how much improvement um, they'd seen in something or how much power was behind the thing they'd just done and giving them words like strength and power behind the movement of their bodies instead of any discussion at all about the size of their bodies. Um, those two things alone can create some really big shifts towards personal growth and evolution. So the next thing I was going to ask is like, I'm so surprised like when I'm training a female client at least once through that hour, they'll say something negative about their body. And like in my head, I'm like, are you serious? Like, come on. Like, there's no way that you are actually like that. And as a coach, like essentially what should I do? Should I call out on the behavior? Like how you said, like, Oh, you're talking really negative about yourself. I don't think that's the best way. Like how, as a, like a male coach, especially, how would you communicate without kind of crossing any kind of boundaries where they might feel, you know, less than, yeah. If I might, if I'm making sense right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think it is about calling out the behavior because then you're talking about the right thing. You know, if I'm coming to you as a client and I'm like, ah, I just feel so fat today, the boundary crossing to me would be for you to engage me in the conversation about the size of my body. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually, that's, that's inappropriate, <laughs> even yeah. as a trainer, you know? Um, but what you can discuss with me is my mindset there. And like, you know, it sounds like you're coming in feeling really defeated today. And, and I have to be honest, I hate the way you're talking about yourself. You know, I, I, I care about you and I wish you wouldn't talk about yourself that way. Um, but then you're talking about the right thing. You're talking about them coming in seeming defeated and that they are being hard on themselves. And those are two things that you can adjust for. And those are two things you can talk about. The size, the size of my body is actually not your business, your business, even as my trainer you know, Mm -hmm. but that I came in feeling defeated, it's going to impact our time together. And that I'm talking negatively about myself is going to impact the way I'm able to move. You know, those are both things that you can talk about. I don't think that's boundary crossing at all. Okay. What would you say to a woman if she like came in and said, you know, I'm really frustrated right now because I can't fit in the clothes I did a year ago. And then like, what, what would you kind of just say to that to counter it? Well, you know, if that was a, a client or a friend of mine, my first question would be, what's happened in the last year? What's going on? You know, because the other thing that I see so often with women specifically, though this is certainly something that could happen anywhere, is that because we are taught to put so much focus on the size and shape of our body, no matter what's happening with us, that's the thing that we identify as the problem. And so my question would be first, what's, what's been happening, Mm -hmm. you know, and it could be that they moved. It could be that they experienced a serious loss. It could be that they're at a new job, you know, like what, what has changed in the last year that has impacted the shape and, and of your body in a way that you don't like and start reverse engineering by looking at behavior as opposed to by talking about size. And when I was working with clients, I would always say, you know, I'm not really here to do weight loss stuff. And that might be different than a lot of personal trainers. That's not my bag, but I'm really interested in getting you into, um, movement and strength training, which is specifically what I did in a way that you enjoy and what happens with your body will, will be what happens with your body. But I want to get you as excited about this as I am. Um, 
But if you do do fat loss, whatever you do, if somebody's gained weight over a year, I would be curious about that year and help them reframe their year in the successes or losses that they've endured over the last year, as opposed to just what happened with their bodies. I used to get letters from women who had just lost a spouse wanting a weight loss plan. Jeez. Like that's, you know, I mean, it's, and it's something I did for a long time where no matter what was happening in my life, good, bad, or otherwise, I would look at my body to tell me whether or not I I was a success or, or a failure. And that's, that's just not an accurate <laughs> picture of anything. You know, I gained some weight over the year that I wrote a book and did more speaking engagements than I'd ever done before. And I had a moment where I was starting to feel like I should feel bad about that and then asked myself what I'd been doing for the last year and was like, holy shit, (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing. You had different focuses. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the other one I was going to ask, I think I asked maybe someone else on my show, but have you ever had a situation where a client or a woman that you knew decided to get plastic surgery to improve the way that she looked? Um, I have friends who have, I don't think I had any clients who specifically had done that. And, um, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I know that there is a lot of different thoughts about that. I, I think that anything that you do to change the appearance of your body, thinking that that will change anything about your life is misguided. Um, I think that if you think something is broken about you or not good enough about you, and if you fix something about your body that that will fix it, I think that's misguided. However, if you want to modify your body in any way, I don't think that's my business, you know, and my personal hope would be that that's coming from a place of, um, a healthy place, you know, but that's not really mine to determine. I don't think it's entirely different from all the tattoos that I have, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, yeah. just, it's a choice. And so it's not one that I take a very strong stance about, um, because, because I don't know if somebody's motivations are healthy. And so I talk about what are healthy motivations and not healthy motivations for, for trying to change your body in any way. But, the decision about that at the end of the day is going to fall to the individual woman. And my bottom line is always about autonomy. And so I would never tell someone whether or not that was something okay for them to do for themselves. Cause I have two examples for this one. One uh, client wanted a tummy tuck, I think breast implants at the time. And I asked her like, well, why do you want to do that? And she's like, well, I need the weight loss is not doing anything for me. So I'm just going to go ahead and get surgery done. And she's like, she was just saying how she's been frustrated with her body. It's not going the way she wants it. So she's just going to take this next step. And in my head, I was like, it kind of sounds like not the best choice. Like, I almost didn't know what to say. I just told her, like, honestly, you're perfect the way you are. You don't need to change at all. And she was really, like, happy I said that. So I was wondering if, like, the support system maybe at home or like her friends, like does that have a major influence on how, you know, women kind of look at themselves of how their body should be? Yeah. I mean, I, in, in the scenario where you have the kind of relationship where, where you're engaging in that conversation, I would be asking like, where does that motivation come from? What do you think will happen when you get that done? You know, what's, 
what has told you that, that what's happening with you isn't enough or is that even what's happening? You know, um, I know women with breast implants, for example, who just like thought it would be fun to have bigger boobs and then they were right. They're having fun. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't always have to be this like heavy thing. Um, so I would ask about that because, um, while giving the compliment, I'm sure was a boost and made her feel good in the moment. I try to avoid that because it's still playing into the same thing. It's still about somebody else's opinion of her, um, and whether or not she's measuring up, you know? And so where does that come from? What I'm curious why that's something that you want to do. I actually talked to my sister out of, of breast implants just by having that kind of conversation because when she did some exploring of it, which we often don't even do, it really was a worthiness thing. And she had saved a bunch of money to get breast implants and ended up going to yoga school and getting a sleeve tattoo instead. And she's very happy with her choice. <laughs> I think getting more tattoos is always a good choice. <laughs> yes, of course it is. Um, and, and for some people, it's easier than that. So, you know, I mean, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, but I would always be curious about um, the reason for the choice and the reason for the behavior over complimenting something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my other example was um, another client that wanted to get breast implants, and I asked her, like, well, why do you want to do that? And she's like, well, you know, I've had five kids and I kind of just want to do something for myself where I just want to have what I had before I had the five kids. And at that point, she already like booked the surgery, had everything planned out, but she was like really, really, really excited to get it done. And I was like, okay, well, it kind of seems like you're kind of positive. And then even after the surgery, I was like, okay, well, was it worth it? She's like, absolutely. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that I would regret this. And I still train her to this day. And she's still really, really happy with the situation. So I was like, okay, maybe there is like a good thing about plastic surgery in that sense. But again, I've only had these two examples and haven't really explored any further. Yeah, well, that's a good example, you know, and and certainly there are people who feel very strongly that plastic surgery should never be a thing. Um, for myself, which is not at all a judgment of anyone else, um, it's not something that I, at least at this point, think that I would consider, um, particularly in terms of making any modifications, like the like changes to my face, because I look like my mom and my daughter looks like me. And I wonder about the message that that sends them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And even, even like breast implants, I guess that's something, I mean, I don't know. I never say never. I, I have a hard time imagining myself doing that, but I wonder if that would somehow tell my daughter that that's something that, that she should do, that, that something about the way that we are naturally shaped because she's shaped very much like me is, isn't good enough. You know, I don't know. I don't know. So those are, those are concerns I have about it for me. And I don't think I know anyone who's had plastic surgery that, didn't make it as a healthy choice and isn't totally happy with the decision. So, you know, it's one of those not a one size fits all scenarios. Definitely. Have you ever seen any kind of bad advice when it comes to body image out there? Um, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Let's get into that. (laughs) There's, there's so much of it, but one of the things that I particularly don't like is the just love yourself narrative. Um, it's not bad advice, you know, but it, it feels 
almost disrespectful to me of all of the layers that impact the way a person feels about the skin they live in. You know, for I would at least a fourth, I think significantly more, but for at least a fourth of women specifically, there is trauma and specifically sexual trauma involved in how they feel about their bodies in specific that they might not feel safe in their bodies. And that absolutely, uh, shows up in, in how you feel about exercise, how you feel in an outfit, how you feel anywhere you go. Um, so just love yourself. Isn't really, it isn't really sage advice. It kind of feels like saying to somebody who is in poverty, like just stop being poor. (laughs) And it's like, well, Okay, let's let's look at <laughs> all of the factors that that ended up with this person where they're at and all of the steps that they have to take to get somewhere else. That's that's very much more layered and nuanced and individual than just love yourself. Um so that bothers me. Anything that doesn't treat it like there is um individual work to be done. Um, that is specific to the person is, isn't going to be good advice. Um, and I really just don't like advice in general that, um, that, that calls other people's ideas bullshit because what works for me is going to be probably very different than what works for somebody else. Um, and so while I have, advice based on my experience and what worked for me that isn't necessarily bad advice. There has to be room for other things to work for other people. Same in fitness. Like I've no interest in following the people that are like, just like I, I dispel the hacks and I'm here to like tell everybody where the bullshit people are. I don't, it's just not leadership that I'm into. And I think, um, there's so much individuality and nuance to what works for people regarding all kinds of things, including fitness. Um, that, that I'm not interested in following anyone with any kind of leadership whose leadership style is these people are bullshit. <laughs> nice. There are several answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I think now like the last couple of years, especially like the whole body image, like topic is so big and everyone's writing blogs or, you know, putting out videos on it. And I'm wondering like if it's all good advice, cause maybe, you know, you might have a coach that actually never gone through any body image issues themselves and now they're giving advice to people and you're like, mm, maybe that might not be the best way. And I almost feel like for to have a good opinion about body images to almost have some sort of like life experience almost, if that well, sounds right. Yeah, I mean, I think that it certainly helps to speak to your own experience and not make blanket statements about things that you've never felt or experienced yourself. I think that's good. Um, But also, like, there are... I don't really want to give an example, but there are, there are women in similar circles to me that give totally different advice about all kinds of things than I do, like polar opposite. And it doesn't resonate with me. And, and sometimes I really don't like it. And that same advice from that same person is really effective, motivational, and awesome for other people. And so I think that there's room for all of these narratives and there's room for all of this advice and that the onus of whether or not it's good advice is on the person who's following it. So I think it's helpful to listen to a lot of different narratives and watch a lot of different videos. And the trick is to 
take what resonates with you and leave the rest. And that doesn't necessarily mean that those people are wrong. It just means that what they're doing, the way they're doing it is not effective for you. And that's okay. You know, there's different methods for different people, different paths for different people, different people saying the exact same thing in different ways will resonate with different people. There's room for all of it. Um, just don't expect the first thing that you land upon to be the perfect fit. Okay. So I'm kind of curious with your book on body image, have you ever had like someone email you or put a bad review that all your advice was crap? No. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to be the first one right now. This is horseshit. Right? No, I'm just curious because like, I think I had um, Dr. Brooke on a couple weeks ago and she was telling me a story that someone actually like trolled her book on Amazon saying that all the advice was crap and but didn't really support the reason why. And I was wondering if you had an experience like that where someone said, hey, actually what you're saying is stupid. Oh, well, people say that what I think is stupid all the time, but <laughs> as pertains to my book, <laughs> because there's not really like an internet forum space for people to bash that. Um, and you have to actually read the book theoretically yeah. to say that. Um, what I've more found is that there are some, there's 21 different thinking errors is the the framework that I was approaching it with, like things that we've learned to think, thought patterns we've learned to have, stories that we have um, that aren't accurate. So like dispelling 21 different things. And so, and I say even in the book, there's probably going to be some chapters that seem really obvious and easy and some chapters that you need to spend more time with. And so that's, that's the feedback that I've gotten more, more uh, regularly is that, you know, there were a couple things that just really didn't resonate with me, but then these ones really did. And that's, that's how it is. Um, because I'm giving lots of different options. So for most people, there's going to be a few things in there that they really struggle with. And that's, that's a place they need to spend some time. And then other stuff that's not at all, you know, two of the chapters approach exercise in different ways. And so for people who love exercise or have a regular exercise practice, that's not very profound. And for people who don't, who have always thought of exercise as only being punitive or something that's not for them, making a practice of moving in any way can be profound. So it's just it's individual. So basically you just killed it for your book. <laughs> yeah, I totally yeah. crushed it. Yeah. No, I fully <laughs> expect to get um, more feedback. You know, some feedback that I've gotten, not specific to my book, um, but in, in general, is that the way that I would talking about body image was primarily, um, from the, the, the lens of whiteness and that this narrative that, um, women just want to be lean is, is a beauty ideal, but it's specifically a white beauty ideal. Um, and that's fair feedback. And so now when I do speeches, I talk about, um, I talk about it in a bigger and a broader way. And I'm specific that the narrative I grew up with, I think I even said it here, the narrative I grew up with was about leanness as opposed to talking about that being, this is something all women want um, because it's not accurate. So I have gotten that feedback, not specific to the book. Um, and I think feedback's really important, but I, I try not to present anything that I've experienced or anything that I'm sharing as as the only way, <laughs> the only thing. Yeah. Um, and that I think keeps me from the harsher feedback and, you know, people who run around talking about how everybody else is bullshit all the time tend to get those same people coming at them. And that's just not, 
and that's not how I lead. So it's not the kind of feedback that I tend to get either. Okay. Interesting. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is like, how do you help women, um, dealing with say like emotional eating or any kind of like borderline eating disorders? Like what are kind of some of the steps that you could implement to kind of get over something like that? Well, you know, I don't know that I have a prescription for healing, especially something that, you know, is a, is a borderline eating disorder. But for myself, whenever I'm looking at something like that, including emotional eating, I'm trying to be endlessly compassionate towards myself and also curious about my behavior. So instead of making myself right or wrong in a scenario, just trying to be curious about what what led me here. You know, if I'm if I'm overeating, what feeling precipitated that? What what happened? You know? <laughs> What is it that I'm trying to to numb? Is it that I'm trying to numb? Am I escaping? What am I doing? So that I can healthfully address what's really happening to me instead of get stuck in that shame space where it's like, I did something bad and now I should feel bad about myself. That's not very actionable or healthy um, or thoughtful. There's not much thought behind that. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> I should feel bad about it. Um, so that, that would be what I would encourage is, is compassion and curiosity as to what happened and what you would feel better about doing in the future. And can you set yourself up to make a, a choice that you would feel better about in the future? That's, but that's it, you know, um, just a different framework for, for studying yourself and choosing behaviors that you feel better about as opposed to this right or wrong, good or bad, you know, I, I keep doing this thing and I'm a terrible person. That's just not very yeah. helpful. Well, I tell people kind of like play detective with your body. Like if you, you know, one night go emotional eat, like think of what led you to that point, what maybe triggered it. Like, is it stress at work? Is it your kids being annoying? Like, kind of look for those little patterns and maybe you can actually figure out why you're actually doing it. Yeah. Well, and what do you need? You know, if your kids are annoying you, does that mean that you need a break? Did you find it in the kitchen? If not, then like what, what would actually feel like a break? That's what I'm always trying to figure out. You know, this, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing it because, well, I recently quit drinking. So that's a good example. I was drinking pretty regularly at night. Regularly for me, it was like twice a week, maybe, which was outlandish for me actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was regularly drinking and, and then feeling sick the next day because I'm very sensitive to it anymore. Um, and so that, that wasn't working. And so I had to like reverse engineer it. Why, why am I doing this? Okay. Well, I'm stressed. What do I think drinking is going to do? It's going to let me escape it. Is that working? No. <laughs> so then if I'm needing escape from my stress level, what could I do that would be effective? Um, because what I'm doing isn't working, you know, and there's nothing about eating that actually fixes any of the things that we do it for um, when it's just for emotional reasons. And so that's that's what I'm looking for. And, and I'm not even, you know, if, if emotional eating works for you, that's great. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't fix anything that I'm, I'm looking for. So with drinking, then I had to like actually eliminate some stressors from my life. And then I had to think about, you know, at what point can I set boundaries around the way I'm consuming media because that's stressing me out. And so I was able to address the real things that were happening in a way that was healthy as opposed to rely on this crutch that not only am I not proud of, but also isn't working. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing about emotional eating. It doesn't work. No, 
like the alcohol is a big one. Like I've had a couple clients where like their night, like every evening they'll have at least two to three glasses of wine or, you know, three beers. And, you know, I'll chat with them and I'm like, well, why do you need it? It's like the only, it's the only way to get my stress out of my life. And I'm like, I think there's probably better ways to do it, but I've actually had like an argument with a client that she'll never, ever get rid of her wine, no matter what, she'll change everything else, but that. And I was like, Ugh, what can I do to like help this individual? Like, what would your advice be for people that, you know, they know that, Drinking every night is probably not the best thing for their health, and they want to eliminate it, but they almost feel like it's a crutch from their life. Well, I mean, same thing. Like, what is it that you're really after, and is it working? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because I don't think it really really cures anything. And I also am not opposed to drinking. Like, I'm not, you know. So if it's working for you, and it's not hurting your life in any way, and you're not – um, I mean, if, if it's not hurting your life anyway, then you're probably not an addict, then fine. If, what is it hurting? Is it hurting? If they're talking to you about it, it's hurting their, their body fat goals. Then what's more important to you? The drinks at the end of the day or the body fat goals. And I'm not even attached to what the answer to that is. You know, it's just, it's like a, it's a choose your own adventure book, man. So <laughs> like, what does the drinking do for you? Is it worth it? Is there something else you could replace it with? Do you care enough to? You know, these are all good questions. Um, and I think they're easier questions to answer when you're not attached to the morality of it. So if it's body fat goal versus wine, for me, I would say neither of those things are, are more morally sound. Honestly, it's your life. You do what you want with it. So if you can take that away and there's no should about it, which do you prefer? Make a choice. When things can be objective like that, they're so much easier because they're not attached to shame. They're not attached to whether or not you're a good or bad person or if you have willpower or if you're, you know, pretty, whatever. (laughs) It's just like, here are all the choices. What do I want for myself? That's it. Okay. I I wanted to shift gears because a lot of my female clients are a big fan of you. and. Uh, yeah, like they, anytime I have a new female client, I always direct them to Girls Gone Strong because I think everything that you guys are doing there is this freaking awesome. Um, and then they start following everybody. And, you know, when I mentioned that I'll be interviewing you, they kind of got, you know, fangirly. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of curious, what's your kind of like morning ritual? Like, what do you do that first one to two hours to get your day going? Oh my gosh. Well, there's an ideal one, and then there's the one that happens a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it depends on the season I'm in. It depends on what I'm working on, what's happening in my life, all kinds of things. So um, sometimes my morning routine looks like rolling out of bed at the last minute, running my kid off to school. Not awesome. It's not, like, beautiful and Instagrammable. Um, But how I spend the next hour of my day is always really important, my first hour alone. And so three days a week, three weekdays, um, I spend with friends. And one of them, we hike or do dance videos on YouTube. And (laughs) the other one is two women come over on Monday and Wednesday. And we either do, like, Tybo videos or, like, some sort of hit training in my living room. Or we go run stadium stairs at the high school down the street. So I work out with friends three days a week. And the other two days I work out alone and get time alone. So there's always movement involved in the beginning. Um, 
And then when I get up early, which is always my goal, but it depends again on, on a whole host of things. If I get up early, I do a little bit of stretching in the morning. Um, I like to do just like 10 minute morning yoga routines on YouTube. So nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, but Nagar Fanuni, who's also on the board, she has a great wildfire yoga program that has uh, 15 minute or less yoga videos. So I'll do one of those. And then, um, I do, I, I read tarot cards. So I do a quick reading on myself for the day, um, lay out like the three top three things I have to do that day, kind of organize myself. But whether I get up before my family or before the sun or not, there's always some sort of movement, always some sort of getting in touch with, um, myself in sort of like a spiritual sense, but then also in a practical way of, what are my top priorities for the day? What's what's manageable and make myself a list of things that I can check off for the day. So those are those are non-negotiables. Whether they happen at 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. depends on all sorts of things. And I try not to beat myself up about that. Though in my head, I'm this person who gets up at 5 a.m. and does an amazing amount of things. And I just haven't become her yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 5 a.m. I don't think works really well for anybody. <laughs> Uh, so last question, because we're already at an hour. Um, where can people find you online? Do you have any new projects coming up? Any products? Just plug away. Um, well, you can find me at IamAaronBrown.com. And then um, the main places I show up are Instagram and Facebook. And both of those, I'm IamAaronBrown as well. Um the big things I have coming up is my third book will be coming out this summer is the goal. And I have a retreat coming up that I'm excited about. Um, my I am power retreat is in October and this year it's in San Diego. Nice. Um, we're opening that up to the public this week. So by the time this airs, that should be up, but it is a really cool event where, um, we address personal power from a variety of different angles. So we learn Krav Maga and it is, um, instructed by women and in a trauma informed space. So it's not scary in any way, but it is encouraging. Um, and I talk about personal power in, in everyday interaction. So like standing up for yourself or, um, saying no is something a lot of women <laughs> struggle with and just those sorts of things. Um, and then we usually have a guest who does something different every year and we haven't announced who that is this year yet. Um, but it is a really unique event because it is like a jam packed therapy in a totally different way. It's not talk therapy. There's lots of introspective work, but you also get to hit stuff. And at the end, um, we have a guy in a fighter suit come in the attacker suit and we, yes. <laughs> we fight back. Um, and the way the event came to be is I was in a mastermind with one of the instructors and started following her work and it really scared me. Um, I, and I couldn't reconcile why that was like why watching her training, just like hitting a bag in her garage was having, like, I felt physically uncomfortable watching it. And so we talked about it and she said that that's pretty common. And that one of the things that she likes to do with, um, survivors of trauma. And I am that, um, is work with them until they feel comfortable being in the position they were attacked from and fight out. And that made so much sense to me to give my body, like my physical body, a new outcome where I won. And so 
wanting to go work with her and get to do that with her is, is how we discovered that this was an event we should be doing for other women. And that's what happens there. It certainly isn't all victims of trauma that come, but certainly a lot do. Um, and you get to watch people either live something that they are afraid of or relive something that they have experienced and win. And it is, um, intense and beautiful and nothing I've ever done has changed me more than, than this event actually. So I'm really excited about it. It's in October in San Diego this year. We move it every year, but people come from all over the world to go. Um, and I'm just so honored and pumped to get to do it again. Oh, that sounds amazing. How many people do you cap it at? Um, 30 is where we've capped okay. it at so far because we want it to be, um, kind of intimate. And there is, um, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, we have to have pads for everybody. We have to have the space for it. It has to be able to be loud and, um, not feel like an overwhelming amount of people. The guy needs to not get kicked in the face, you know, 300 <laughs> times. So <laughs> God bless that guy. Eh? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think, I think we have it capped at 30 again this year. Sweet. But you can find all the information about that at iampowerretreat.com. Awesome. So I want to thank you for all your time. This was amazing. Thank you. It was great. It was great talking to you. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 41 with Aaron Brown. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that one. And a couple of you have been asking me about these Cut the Shit, Get Fit t-shirts that you've been seeing online. And eventually I am going to do a pre-order for everyone. So just kind of keep your eyes open for that. And I'll blast out the link when that finally happens. And I'll see you guys next week.